Good morning. He is risen. Yeah, I love it. Oh, man, this last week I was talking to the staff about how excited I am about this day. And I, I want to be excited, this excited about every day because he's risen all the time, right? He's alive. He's with us. He's present. But, man, it's like this is the day we remember the greatest Super Bowl victory of all time. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you need a better team than, than, than what we've had. So we have had a few good years, but uh, thank God Jesus has overcome the greatest enemy. And we're going to talk about that this morning. want to welcome you here this morning. I, my name is Jeff Vanderstelt. I'm one of the elders. I give a lot of time to, to giving leadership towards vision and preaching here. I share preaching with Justin Anderson. Some of you got to hear Justin lead us through our Good Friday service, which was so powerful. And uh, if you missed it, I, it was a really, really great time together to reflect and remember on the death of Christ. Today, we're going we're gonna to celebrate in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, if you are new with us, we hope that you feel welcomed from the point you walked in to the point you leave. It's our desire to help you feel like family around here, to love on you and care for you and help you in any way possible. And there'll be people with lanyards that say, I can help. And some of them have uh, actually elder written on it, which means they're one of the leaders of our church. Uh, the others are people who give servant uh, leadership to our church. And so we're just here to serve you in any way we can. Let us serve you. Let us answer questions. If you want to get more connected, get more information, maybe even follow up up on a question you had about this morning or a way to get more connected into what we're doing as a church, there's a connect us right outside those doors. Uh, Tim, who will have the brightest pink tie you've ever seen uh, on, will be there. Some of you were blinded when you walked in the doors because the blinding light of that bright pink tie just messed up your retinas, and so we apologize for that. But Tim couldn't hold back the joy of Easter morning, and it had to be expressed in his tie. But he'll be there to welcome you along with others. So we, we just want to serve you and bless you in any way we can. Please take advantage of that. And if you do happen to come and meet Tim or any of the others at the Connect Us and look for more ways to connect, we have a, a, a nice gift we'd love to give you uh, that you could leave with as well. So it'll be something, it's not cheap by the way, it's a really, really nice gift, but you have to go find out what it is because I'm not going to tell you. Um, second, we are kicking off a new series starting next week that we especially are, are starting because we know there are a lot of people right now who have a lot of questions that in some cases are keeping them from moving forward to consider Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done. And so we're going to spend five weeks, uh, one week on each key question that we see can tend to be the things that keep people from moving forward and looking to Jesus. Uh, and there are going to be five key questions. Next week will be the question, how can, how can there be only one way to God? How can you guys believe that? So we're going to walk through that. But each week will be a different question that we'll let you know the week before. Uh, you can grab a card when you walk out to either remind yourself of, of this series, question everything, or you can bring it to invite a friend that you might know has a lot of questions and it might be a good series for them just to walk through some of the biggest opposition or questions that people are facing as to why maybe they're having a hard time believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we teach here. So I want to serve you well that way. <clears throat> the second thing we want to do is we want to make an opportunity available for you to get to meet the leadership of our church. Once a month, we do a welcome lunch. We'll be doing that next week. So even if you're new here and you want to join us for uh, lunch right after the, the second gathering, we have time together to eat and then to ask questions. I'll do a little bit of sharing the vision of what our church is about, what we're committed to. You'll get the opportunity to meet some of the leadership in your region as well as other people in your region. So whether you've been here a long time or you're brand new, it's available for all of you. We'd love for you to join us. And you can just text LUNCH 
to the number 559-744-3692. Or again, go to the Go to the website. You can even do it there if you want on doxachurch.com slash events. So uh, we want to do everything we can to welcome you as many ways as possible. Last, kids, I, uh, we put together a little booklet for you. Hopefully you got it when you came in with some crayons. If you didn't, you can still get it. It's in the middle section of the, the room. Now they're on tables. You can grab one of those coloring, kind of a coloring sheet. And there are three key questions that I'm going to ask during the message that specifically I'm going to say, hey, kids, here's the question. And I want you to listen along so you can answer with, uh, along with your parents as they're listening. And I've tried to do my best to make sure this gathering is kid-friendly and family-involved. So hopefully you'll enjoy that as we walk through that together. So feel free to grab one of those. And, and all the big kids, you're welcome to grab one too if you'd like. Uh, so uh, let, let me pray for us as we continue to move forward and uh, introduce you to something we're going to watch. Father, thank you for this incredible day when the greatest enemy of our souls was defeated and the greatest victor the world has ever known was raised from the dead. Jesus, you deserve all glory, praise, and honor for you willingly humbled yourself for our good and the Father's glory and the Father lifted you up by the power of the Spirit, giving you new life and giving us hope because of it. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would impress on our hearts the things we need to hear today to to meet us in the place where we are at so that we might walk out with greater hope and faith and love as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Put together, we we, we found a video that we thought would be really helpful for you guys to just get a picture of the story of resurrection, why this day is so important. So I hope you enjoy this video as we watch along. It began with darkness. Pitch black. Formless and empty. Into this darkness, God created life, created entire galaxies, countless wonders beyond imagination. And to behold and display his glory, he breathed life into his children. He loved them with a passion burning brighter than the sun. And for a time, he made his dwelling among them in a beautiful, perfect world. But then this love was torn apart fractured by an abyss so wide that it could never be crossed. An immense chasm created by our sin, our pride, and our disobedience. And so the darkness returned. And with it came death, spiritual emptiness, relational brokenness, and physical destruction. But our father refused to leave his children in the darkness. So once again, he sent his light to dwell on earth. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, to teach us, heal us, and save us from the terrible wages of sin. 
Where he preached peace, he was met with hostility. Where he preached love, hatred burned against him. Where he preached forgiveness, his enemies cried out for execution. As an innocent man, he was arrested, tortured, and sentenced to death as a criminal. With nails in his hands, Jesus bore the unfathomable weight of our sin, removing all guilt and covering all shame. They assigned him a grave with the wicked and sealed his tomb with a stone. Darkness reigned over the land once more as hope seemed to vanish. But on the third day, his light pierced the shadows. His power shook the earth. The Son of God rose, declaring victory over death and throwing wide the gates of heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. His love still calls to us. His grace still covers us. His Spirit empowers us to tell the world that this is the Gospel. This is the good news of Easter. Yeah. What a great story. What a true story. What a hope-filled story. He is risen. Amen. Love it. On Friday, we remembered that Jesus went to death for sin. An innocent man treated like a criminal so that he might take our sin on himself. And today we celebrate that he went to death for life, that we might have new life in him. Now, the question I want to ask is, why is this such a big deal? Why is Easter so important? Why is resurrection so important? Why must Jesus rise from the dead? That's the question we're going to go after. And in order to understand that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story that you saw depicted in the video. In Genesis 1, verse 26, we hear this as God's creating. He says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The first humans and everyone since that was created by God were created to be image bearers of God. In other words, they were made to be a self-portrait of what God is like. They were made to display the truth of what God is like, to speak in such a way that we would hear what God is like. And as they would do that, they would experience life to the fullest because in as much as they imaged God in their 
thoughts, actions, and words, they would actually live out the life that was the greatest of all lives because God's the creator of life and the giver of life and the sustainer of life. So to live like God is to live life to the fullest. That's how it started. Now, I want to brag a little bit on my, my youngest daughter uh, before I show you. Uh, I'm really, really thankful for a wife who's an artist with her hands. I'm one with my words. But if you guys have watched me try to do art with my hands, you know it's not beautiful. Uh, but my wife is a very talented artist, and she's trained our kids and still teaches them to do art. And when Maggie was five, she's 10 now, when she was five, Janie had all of our kids do a self-portrait. So this is Maggie, a self-portrait at five. A little bit of a Picasso, I would say. So, don't you think? I mean, I mean Picasso made millions doing those kinds of paintings. Uh, so that's Maggie's five-year-old portrait. Janie presently is serving an elementary school in Redmond as an art docent in Maggie's class. And so Maggie had the chance to do her 10-year-old portrait, which I want to show you here. And you'll see there's considerable improvement here that's been made. There we go. Pretty good, eh? So that, that's, yeah, Maggie's, Maggie was in the first service, but you can still cheer for her. Uh, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty proud of her. I think she did a great job. In some ways, uh, this is what was supposed to happen with Adam and Eve. They were supposed to actually get better at displaying the image of God in everything they did. Now, the analogy falls short in the sense that when God created him, he wasn't practicing and somehow messed up the first time. When he made them, he said they were very good. So he was proud of the way he designed them, but they needed to learn how to live into that design. And God walked with them daily. God was with them, teaching them how to live, how to, how to truly image what he's like in their thoughts, their words, and their actions. And he instructed them not to look elsewhere, not to go to another source to find out what was said about them or what, what would kind of qualify them or give them significance. He said, keep coming to me. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who informs who you are. Come to me. And as some of you know the story, the way that he instructed them to not go somewhere else was to not go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, if you go to that and you eat of that, and that, that was symbolic of them saying, we're going to look elsewhere for our sense of significance and identity and, and purpose. We're not going to look to you, God. We're going to look to another source. And uh, as you may or may not know, they, they did get led astray and deceived into believing that if they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would become like God, knowing good and evil. And in a sense, they, they wouldn't need God anymore. They, they were led to believe another word was better than the word of God spoken over them that said, no, you're already very good and I already made you in my likeness. So they were also led to not only believe another word that was a lie, but to believe in another work, to trust in their own ability to be self-made people. By taking of the fruit, they were in effect saying, we're going to look to ourselves to make ourselves great instead of looking to God who is great, who made us in his image, and therefore we already are great in, in him. Let me stop and just ask, what word or words most define your life? Is it your parents' words that were spoken over you or not spoken over you? Or maybe it's a peer's words in your, 
in your life. Maybe it's your spouse or a friend or a coworker or a boss. Maybe it's even your own words that keep cycling through your head. Either ones that are destroying you or maybe ones that are exalting you. But let me ask, are those words making God's ultimate good and better word a whisper in your life in competition to the shouts of everybody else? Which word is defining you today? Which word do you look to to make you significant, to find your hope and identity in? And then, just like Adam and Eve believed another word, they also believed in another work, another work other than God's. Which work defines you today? Is it your successes? Maybe it's your failures. Maybe it's what others have done to you throughout your life that still continues to inform who you think or believe you are. Maybe it's what they failed to do to you that you wish they had. Let me ask, has God's work been trumped by somebody else's work in your life? Whose word and whose work do you look to? And when we're defined by a lesser word than the better word God speaks over us, when we're defined by a lesser work than the powerfully and beautifully creative work of God to make us, it will always fall short. The words will always not be enough. The work will always be insufficient. And the Bible says that what happened with Adam and Eve when they looked elsewhere is they experienced shame. They covered themselves up with fig leaves. They experienced fear. They went and hid from the presence of God. And they experienced guilt. Instead of accepting what they had done, they blamed God for their sin and they blamed one another for the sin. It led to all kinds of brokenness. And we read later from the Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Now it's important to understand that this death isn't just physical. This death is spiritual. It leads to a spiritual emptiness, a, a, a deadness of soul, a, a, a lack of being alive to God in relationship. It, it's not just spiritual death, but it's also relational death because that spiritual core of who you are when it's broken by sin leads to relational brokenness in the way that we treat one another. And then ultimately, there really is a physical death that we all now are familiar with that we've lived long enough and watched people we love die. God's word was true. When we look elsewhere, it produces death. Romans 3.23 says this, as we answer the question, what is sin? He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Kids, get your notebooks out, your papers out. What is sin is the question I want to ask. What is sin? Well, sin, according to the Apostle Paul, if it's falling short of the glory of God, it's any failure to be like God in our thoughts, our words, or our actions. Sin is any failure to be like God in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Any way in which we fall short of telling the truth about what God is really like. 
is sin. And the Bible says that every one of us have fallen short. Every one of us has sinned. And since the wages of sin is death, we all have experienced personally the brokenness of sin, but corporately we've experienced it as we have seen horrific things done to one another. Some of you in the room are recipients of how sin has hurt you, how someone else's sin has destroyed you. I was talking to a woman from Venezuela this morning after the gathering, the first gathering, and she said, Jeff, I want to make you aware, you probably don't know this, but there's a great oppression going on in Venezuela right now. There's a dictator kind of leadership, rulership, and, and they're keeping imports from coming in so people can't get food. And, and so there's people starving. She says, my family's there. And with tears, she started to pour out her heart for her family who can't get food, even though she can send them money. They can't even buy food. And as I listened to her, I said, that's an evidence of how broken the world is because of sin. And every one of you could give testimony either in your personal lives or in your family's life or in your, your company's life or in the school you go to and the world you watch. Turn on the news and you can't get away from it. We live in a place where there's much brokenness and this sin leads, because of our, our fear of one another, it leads to isolation. Some of us are alone, very alone. For others of us, because we feel the need to deal with our shame, we learn how to put on the facade. For some of you, it's putting on the facade of hard work to try and impress people. For others of you, it's looking to religion to do it. If I can just act like a good person, no one will know how broken I am inside. For others of you, it's just pure lying and deception. And so... Fear leads us to isolation. Shame leads us to deception. And then others, uh, the, the very guilt that you feel leads you to hate others or turn on others or maybe even turn on yourself. And it leads to all kinds of destruction. See, sin mars the image of God in us. It, it covers it up. It, 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 and if I could keep going, I would just go like, let's just keep doing this because this is what sin has done. It just keeps us from really being who we were meant to be. And it doesn't just cover us up, but it, it really brings literal destruction to our lives. It's as if the sin of others or sin of even ourselves starts to just rip apart the image of God in us. And every single sin against us feels like that in our hearts. It's just destructive to ourselves. Maybe as I do that, I think, how many people have been, have been hurt by sin in this room? And you feel like that's been done to you or you've done it to yourself. The Bible's clear that the wages of sin is death and the experience that you have in the temporal present day and age that you live in is meant to be a bit of a warning God's megaphone to you saying, hey, beware, when I said the wages of sin is death, I really meant it. When you're experiencing it in your own life, in your world, I'm giving you a, a, a billboard on the side of the road to the end saying, warning, pay attention. It's not going to end well if you don't turn to the only one who can save you. See, I want to make sure it's really clear. When God talks about the wages of sin being death, he's not just talking about temporal. And he's not just talking about at the end of your life. He's talking about a, an eternal death, a separation from God forever, that you, you in this moment, in this room, even now, get to make a decision. 
Which God will I submit to? The God that deceived Adam and Eve and told them to trust in self? Or the God who created us and wants to save us and rescue us through Jesus so we don't have to be separated from him forever? We can enjoy a place of glorious rest and freedom from sin where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, where Jesus is all in all. We get to enjoy him forever on a new heaven and a new earth. This is real. The resurrection tells us there's more to this life than what you see here and now. So what does God do? He invites us. He says, I've come to rescue you. I've come to save you. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has come to save us in Christ Jesus. Kids, what did Jesus do? First of all, he lived the life we couldn't. He died for our sins on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead. Jesus is the Son of God and what we also call the God-man. He came to earth, the Word of God, the Word made flesh. God, he was with God in the very beginning. He is God, and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And the Bible tells us that if we've seen him, we've, we can behold the true glory of God. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate self-portrait of what God is really like. The, the Apostle Paul says that it's in Jesus that the fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form. And Jesus didn't just come to show us what God is like in his everyday life, but he also came to live the life as a self-portrait for you and me as a replacement for us because we fail to do it. He obeyed God in every way, and he displayed God in, in his thoughts, his words, and his actions perfectly. He did this because we don't, and apart from him, we can't. He is our perfect life. He is for us the replacement portrait that we, we want to be, we need to be, but we needed someone else to be for us. He came and lived that life, and then he died in our place. On the cross, Jesus took on himself all of our sin, past, present, and future. Some of you are going to have a really bad day tomorrow, and you're going to be glad for the message I'm preaching today. Because you're going to need to know that someone's dealt with what you're, going to, you're about to do. And when Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he actually proclaimed forgiveness over you before you even knew you needed it. It's amazing grace that he would do that for us. Amazing grace. And you know, he, Jesus went to the cross and he took on the shame of your sin on himself so that he could remove it from you so you don't have to live a life full of shame. And he took on the guilt of your sin and he paid for it in full so that you wouldn't have to be afraid of punishment because you know that perfect love from God cast out all fear of punishment because you know God is for you and not against you in Jesus Christ. And I love what Jesus did as he breathed out his last breath on the cross. It is finished. Yes. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died to pay for it in full. It's really good news. God is not saying, hey, work harder to impress me. Try harder to behave. Be a better person, be more religious. No, he's saying, I'm not calling you to come to me fixed up. I'm calling you to come to me needing to be fixed. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I came to call the people who know they need help. They know that there's real guilt, real shame, real fear. And the only one who can remove it and deal with it is Jesus Christ. He's not calling you to make it up. He's calling you to to let him do it for you. And Jesus didn't just suffer and die to remove shame and to pay atone for our guilt and to remove the fear of punishment, but he also came to heal you. The prophet Isaiah says that it's by his wounds that we are healed, that Jesus received all kinds of wounds and, 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 and he was whipped and beaten and spit on and rejected so that you who feel that way in certain parts of your life would look to one who really gets it and can overcome it and bring healing to your hearts and to your lives. He alone can bring deep, real, eternal healing to you. And when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb, cut out of a rock, and a large stone was put in front of the tomb. And Pilate, because there was some fear that someone would make up a story that the body was stolen, put a Roman guard next to the tomb to ensure that that wouldn't happen. And death and all of its effects and all of its brokenness was put in the grave. He took your sin to the grave. He took your brokenness to the grave. He took the wounds that you experienced to the grave. And listen what happened on an Easter Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Yes. Amen. Now, nobody stole the body because a bunch of women can't beat up a, a Roman soldier. Let's be clear about that. But I bet you they were scared of that angel. He's not here. He's risen. So go see the place where they laid him. Look, you can see yourselves. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus had prophesied. He'd already told them this is what he would do. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. His body was gone, but it was not stolen. He had risen. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, which is only about 15 years after the resurrection, says that Jesus appeared not only to his disciples, but to over 500 witnesses, most of whom are still alive at the moment, Paul said. That that was his way of saying, if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, go talk to all the people that hung out with him and ate with him after he died. Clearly he rose again. On Friday, Jesus died, but on Sunday, death died. Death was put in the tomb and Jesus was victorious over it. Sin was put in the tomb and Jesus was victorious over it. Jesus brought your sin and my sin, my shame, my guilt, my fears, my wounds. He brought it to the grave and he was victorious over it for you and me. So that 
we once again could be a beautiful self-portrait. That God would make us new. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All who put their faith in Jesus are forgiven of their sins. The Bible says he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our sins from us. He doesn't, you're not defined anymore by what you've done. You're defined by what he's done. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 17 says, those of us who are in Christ, which is another way of saying where our faith is in him, we trust him, we look to him as the one who died for our sins and rose again. If, if that's true of you, you're a co-heir with Christ, which means all that is true of Jesus has now been given to you as a gift by faith in him. And not only are we forgiven, but we have a whole new life with a whole new power to live an entirely different life than we had before. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 10, and 11 says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in us who believe, giving us power to live a new life. Not only are we forgiven and the shame and the guilt and the fear can be removed and the, the wounds can be healed, but we can have power to live differently. So the resurrection isn't just about a clean slate. It's about a whole new life for you and me. It's about a whole new future for you and me. It's about a whole new possibility to put to death what is broken and sinful and live a life that resembles the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is really good news. God's not just concerned about making you forgiven. He wants to make you new, change your life forever. And what's best of all is we get to live with him forever. Not just after we die. But from this day forward, for those of you who have your faith in Christ, I grew up in church all my life. I even prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. I'd heard a missionary talk about the reality of future judgment that will stand before God. And if your hope in, is not in Christ to have lived the perfect life for you, then your hope will have to be in yourself and you'll all be found wanting. You'll all come up short. And I was told that the, the payment for that would be eternal separation from God because I'd rebelled against God and rejected God and chose to do everything without God. And so God would give me over to the very thing I wanted all my life, which is a life without God. I remember hearing that go, I don't want to spend life there. I don't want to go to hell. And so I came forward and responded to the message. And, uh, but here's the thing. I didn't do it because I loved Jesus or because I wanted to live a new life today. I just didn't want to face that future reality when I died. When I was 21... God showed up in my life in a particular way. I was in Denia, Spain, in this beautiful apartment overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. I was going to school there for a while, and he, he visited me, he came to me, and it wasn't like he was visibly there, and I didn't hear him audibly, but it, it was that sweet, soft whisper. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe he's doing it to you right now. You just can't shake it. These words coming into your head. Where's that coming from? It might be him speaking to you. And for me, this is what I heard. Jeff, when you were eight, you only gave me your afterlife but you never gave me your life. I want your life. Yeah. And in that moment, I got down on my knees and I said, you are worthy of my life. I believe not only did you forgive me, but that you love me and that you're for me and there's no better life than being with you. Come into my life and change it, make me new. Help me to understand what it's like to walk with you, to know you, to, to experience your power, change me. And I'm telling you, when that happened, that was the greatest moment of my entire life, and I have never looked back and regretted it once. 
I was changed. I became a new creation. I was a new man. And I've lived differently since. Now, I've failed, and I, I, I know I need the cross. I know I need forgiveness. But I'm telling you, the life I have in Christ is better than any life I could have ever imagined without him. And I just want to call you, if you've not received what he's done for you today, that you would do that, that you would say, I need a Savior. That portrait looked like me. Shame, guilt, fear, wounds being my primary sense of identity instead of being forgiven and removing the shame and getting rid of the guilt and not walking in fear and experiencing God heal the broken wounds, the deep, deep damage I've experienced. See, eternal life is not life after death. Eternal life is abundant life with God. It just happens to last forever. But it starts now. Kids, how can you live with God forever? By believing in Jesus and receiving him into your life today. The question I have for you as you consider responding to this, family as well as our visitors, do you believe that Jesus is the true self-portrait of God who lived a perfect life for you in your place and that he died on the cross for your sin to remove your shame, to atone, pay for your guilt and to set you free from the fear of coming judgment because you know you can stand before God in Christ forgiven, loved and accepted and do you believe that he rose again on the third day as his victorious stamp that he put death in the grave and overcame it, that he left sin in the grave and you're not defined by it, and that he went to God the Father to go and represent you right now before him and say, accept Jeff because of me. If you do, some of you in the room, you, you've, 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 done, you've done this before and it's just affirming your faith again, right? You're going, amen, yes, it's good. My life's been changed forever. There's others of you in the room who have never responded, and I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus, what we call the gospel. First of all, and I want to stop and pray before I, we do this. Father, as we enter into a time of response, would you move our hearts to be honest about our need for you? Holy Spirit, you are the one who grants faith to believe, both that we are desperately in need of help as well as you are sufficient to provide the help. So Holy Spirit, would you do the work in our hearts that we need this morning in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to respond, start by saying, just if you believe you've sinned and you believe that you've failed to be like God in your thoughts, your words, or your actions, take a moment and just pray, God, I believe I've sinned against you and I know that the penalty of sin is death. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll just give you a moment if that's something you want to pray to God. Next, tell him you believe that Jesus lived the life you couldn't, died the death you should have for your sins and rose again to give you a new life. It could sound something like this. I believe that Jesus, you lived the life I couldn't. I believe you died to forgive me of my sins and that you rose again from the dead to give me a new life with power over sin. God, I want the new life that Jesus came to give me. Just give you a moment if that's something you want to pray.
And then lastly, invite him to come into your life and be in charge from now on. It might be something like this. I don't want to be God of my life any longer. I want you to be God of my life. I want your spirit, God, to come in and change me so that I can be with you forever, starting from today. If you did that, I want to encourage you to consider letting someone know that that happened in your life. Maybe it's a friend that brought you. Maybe you need to talk to one of us that has a lanyard and let us know. In fact, if you want, you can get baptized today. As Jesus commanded, that's how we express our faith in him is through public baptism, which I'll explain in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to invite uh, you to join me in prayer for a moment in response. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving God. You know us better than anyone else. Adam and Eve tried to hide, but it was like playing hide-and-go-seek with a parent and a two-year-old. They couldn't hide from you. You saw everything, and yet you didn't scold them or or come at them with anger. You called them out. You wanted them to know there's salvation, there's hope in you, and you promised there would be one day, and we know that you brought it about through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for living and dying for us. Thank you, Father, for raising him from the dead so that we might know that there's a victory, that his payment was sufficient, that his work was powerful, and that his presence is certain. He's alive. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite those who take our, receive our offering to come forward. If you're a guest, every week we do this as a family to respond in gratitude to God for all that he's given us, especially the greatest gift of his son. We don't expect you as a, mem- as a, as a visitor to, to give. You're welcome to, but please know that's not any expectation we have. But we just want to serve you today, and we hope you felt served by the good news of Jesus and by our hospitality. While the, the people coming to receive the offerings come forward, I want to continue describing baptism, and maybe today you, you want to get baptized You didn't know you could, but we have a change of clothes for every size here, and we have a towel to dry off with afterward, and we believe that sometimes the best time to get baptized is in the moment where God brings new faith, and for some of you, that happened today, and you want to respond right away because you know there's something that God just did in your heart, and we've done everything we can to make sure you're able to do that by providing clothes and towel and they're right out in the lobby. So when we take a moment to sing in just a moment, if you feel like it's time for you to respond in faith through baptism, Pastor Alex will be right there. You see him raising his hand. He'll walk through how to prepare for that. Maybe you're not even ready, but you, something happened. You still want to talk to him. He'll be there. There's some of you who've been here for a long time, and you know today is the day you need to get in the water because it's time for you to pr- profess out loud and visibly show that God has changed your life. And so I invite you to do that. Some have already prepared to do that. We had some in the first gathering, and then we had four spontaneous baptisms. It was really fun to see, especially these three teenage girls from Lake Washington High School just respond in faith to the gospel. It was so, such a joy for me as they're friends of my own daughter. So it was really encouraging. But here's what we're doing in baptism. Paul says in Romans 6, 3 through 5, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, as each person goes into the baptismal waters, what they're saying is, I believe by faith that I've been united with Christ in his death, that when he died on the cross, it was my sins he died for. And he took those sins to the grave. As we go into the water, we're saying, I identify with the fact that those sins were brought into the grave. And like the water is a cleansing source, we come out of the water knowing that our sins were left in the grave with Jesus. Praise God. And as we come out, we not only are united with his death and his burial, but also his resurrection. And we come out of the water knowing we have a new life in Christ. We can live differently. And that's what each person who goes into the water will be demonstrating. They're demonstrating that Jesus went to death for life so that we might know life abundant. Let me pray. And before I do that, I want to be clear. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just a picture of the fact that God saves us. And God calls us to do physical things to display spiritual realities. And that's what we're doing in baptism. So would you pray with me? Why don't you stand and I'll pray over you. And then we're going to respond in song. And then we're going to have fun celebrating how God's changing lives around here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the work you're doing in hearts in the room. Thank you that the work you're doing is a work you finish. That whatever you start, you always finish. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to have great joy in, in the knowledge of salvation and the personal experience of you changing us from the inside out. We praise you because you are worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.